Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Eric Bischoff joins us to answer your questions about World War III and anything else. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. I'm Maria Menounos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Boom, let it drop. Hello there, 83 Weeks fans. This show is just for you. It is all yours. This is where we break down the myths revealed, all the rumors debunked, every little thing that Eric Bischoff says on 83 Weeks. Thank you so much for tuning in. A ton of you are already live in our chat room. Hello, Ben and Blast and Hybrid. Everybody coming. I know Eric just sent out a tweet that he will be joining us in just a few minutes. So I'm expecting a whole party going on there in the live chat. If you've missed us this time and are listening on Apple Podcasts, please join us live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Because, as uh, you may have heard me mention, Eric Bischoff will be on the line shortly to answer all the questions coming from the live chat roll. And I have some juicy ones too about what happened with Jim Cornette this week about AEW reviving Bash at the Beach you know we're gonna pick his brain on all of that and by we I mean myself and these lovely gentlemen right here you know him as being Eric's digital producer it's Steve Kaufman why hello um Whatever I say could possibly be edited out of the broadcast. <laughs> By you yourself. <laughs> yes. And anything this guy says, we call him the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment. He calls himself an independent wrestler. And you can call him George Hermosa. I, I, by the way, I'm excited for the party. Do you know what, <laughs> do you, do you know what comes before Part B? Oh, you told us already. Party! But... What, what? Oh, I thought you were about to tell everybody what great parties I throw at my house. You do have some great parties. I mean... Um, I'm awaiting the next Super Bowl. <laughs> well, maybe you guys will all get a, an invite next time. Matthew, Tom, everybody who's hanging out, get your uh, thoughts rolling because that's where we're going to be pulling our questions for Eric from in just a few minutes. But first, we've got to break down this very juicy episode of 83 Weeks about World War Three. This is a pay-per-view we don't hear about a whole lot, so it was great to get the behind-the-scenes story. However, i got to remind you guys to stay tuned for Eric on this show because we break a lot of news here and you may have seen a dirt sheet report over the last couple days about Eric's last appearance here where he told a hilarious story about Tony Khan allegedly storming out of the Shivani roast after being angered by something that Mark Madden said. However, uh, it seems that Eric's co-host Conrad, who was in charge of StarCast of course of that whole event, took some uh, took some issue with this. Yeah, I, don't, I think he was clarifying. And okay. So from Eric's point of view, from the side of the room, not involved, he saw Tony Khan at a table. He saw an event start. He saw Mark Madden call out Tony Khan specifically, and then he saw Tony Khan leave. That's what Eric saw. That's what Eric saw. That's what Eric said on this show. Yeah. No. So PWI didn't misreport it in any way. That's what Eric said. That's what Eric saw. Conrad was merely clarifying that Tony Khan was going to leave anyway. He happened <laughs> to have left after someone <laughs> called him a money mark, which honestly... Put yourself in Tony Khan's shoes. If you're at a thing and you're going to leave anyway, and then the host starts making fun of you, yeah. that feels like the perfect time to leave. 
if anything, to get us talking, because now we're talking about Tony Khan, we're talking about AEW, we're talking about StarCast. We're talking like, about Conrad. Like, I don't blame Tony Khan for getting up. He had dinner reservations downstairs. And even, like, with the whole Money Mark thing, like, isn't technically Vince McMahon a Money Mark as well? Um, He's a third-generation Money Mark, I guess. Ooh. I mean, he's the one, you know, making all these deals and billion-dollar deals and all these things, like... I don't know. I think it's just unfair to call Tony Khan a money mark. I mean, again, uh, the Khan family are billionaires. What's the difference? Um, I mean, it's not up to us what Tony Khan is going to take exception to, but Scrandmaster General in the chat said, I love how Eric tells the truth and doesn't care. Yeah, no filter. I, I like that. I yeah. mean, he's always been like that, too. It's not like, I don't think there was anything holding him back from from even when he was uh, working there. Right. But, yeah, I, I always respected that about Mr. Bischoff. Yeah. Our live viewers are also wondering, whatever happened to that other guy who used to be on this show? <laughs> well, they, I was trying to clarify that, that there were the other guy who used to be on the show, and I mentioned that Christian Rosenberg, we moved the taping from Tuesday to Wednesday, and he couldn't yeah. swing the schedule. Yeah, so we used to have this fantastic co-host, uh, uh, Christian Rosenberg, yes. who I believe is now going by Josh Tariff. You know, he actually works in the wrestling biz for many, many years, so he could always provide us a great viewpoint on commentary and those sorts of things. I'm We miss him as well, and this is just a scheduling thing, you know, he's still invited to all the parties at my house and we hope that he can rejoin us again very soon i think us probably having eric back on a weekly basis might be a good enticement for him but then they asked well no they sat next to christy and then i remember when we were a four when we were a foursome i for sure sat next to christy so i don't know i'm still here (laughs) (laughs) to clarify rosenberg no heat Steve Kaufman still totally on this show. Me and my revolving panel of 83 <laughs> weeks super fans here to break down this episode for you. We did get some juicy stuff from Eric on this one about WWE. I always like to kick off with um, my overanalyzation of every little tiny thing that he possibly said about his time there. He was sick of living in his corporate apartment. We know him and Lori have a uh, hall butt down there to Florida to uh, hang out with his son. And Eric also said, quote, I'm never going to work there again. I promise you that about WWE while also uh, revealing that he had dinner with uh, Bruce Pritchard again. So clearly no hard feelings there. But Eric said, never going back. Never say never. Well, that's what I thought. And he's the first one to always point that out. So what could make him I really Justin think Bieber was the so first one done. to say never say never. I'm yeah. sure someone said that before, <laughs> Justin Bieber. I do I, I I don't if I went through if I went through what I think Eric went through cuz like there's a lot of details that we're not going to learn for a long time. Right. If I went through what I think Eric went through a couple weeks out, especially with all the class and with everything with all of the positivity Eric has been handling this with, mm-hmm. I'd still very much when asked, "Oh no, I'm never going back there." Mm-hmm. And and by that I mean never say never. That's like CM Punk said I'm never coming back. Yeah. And then he's obviously not back back, but he's back. And I think someone like Eric has the clout to say that. Like if some rando person no one really knew was there was there for a year and then said, I'm never going back. Forget them. No one would really care because, hey, WWE's not asking. But I think in this case, mm-hmm. it actually means something that Eric Bischoff is saying that. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, especially too, like to go from. Like, because obviously the first time he was there, he was just strictly talent, and then he kind of comes back with that executive role. Like, if you if he were to come back, where would it be come back as? Like, to be talent again? Like, I don't know. I feel like that'd be something where, like, it'd be like if you go back and you 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 go as a manager of Target, but then you come back to Target as like a seasonal employee. Like, I don't know. It's just I just feel like you can't really go 
down after you've been so up in that company. Yeah, the bearded mohawk, he's speculating there is something there that we don't know. He says, Matthew said, WWE do sucks. Yeah, they, they, they do suck. Smoke Dog points out that Eric moved his whole life all the way to Stanford, Connecticut for two months. So probably, I'm sure, the exhaustion uh, from all of that alone would well, be enough to level, make you say never again. And I don't I don't pretend to know what his contract was, mm-hmm. but I guarantee he didn't come to, or I can't guarantee that, but I have a feeling he didn't come to them. So when someone comes to you, the contract looks a lot different. Right. So if... What I'm saying is there's a high probability that contract was a certain level of guaranteed money. Guaranteed enough that he's not hurting to come back not anytime soon. Not salary, though. But if you, if you hire someone on salary and then you let them go within 90 days, mm-hmm. there's usually some type of provision in any contract to say, hey, cool, you have the right to let me go, but you don't. You, I uprooted my whole life. For you to let me go on the 89th day, I'm interested in. Or the... Uh, 83rd day, as it were. (laughs) (laughs) As it were. Frederick said, uh, Frederick has a great question for Eric, and Eric will be joining us in just a few minutes. He wants to know if Eric ever gets tired of Conrad quoting Meltzer and correcting Meltzer's nonsense. That's a great one. Hold on to it, Frederick, because we definitely want to pitch that at Eric. In the meantime, let's talk about this whole three rings business. All right, Eric agrees. It didn't come off well. It wasn't shot well. But it was a pretty good concept and, from and the they, jump, right? And they did it again. It's not yeah. like it was a one and done. It's not like they were like, oh, this is a bad idea. Yes, the production aspect maybe was a little bit more difficult, but they did it in 96, 97, 98. Like, they did it for four years. So they obviously thought highly of it to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Did they shoot it any differently? I know we'll be covering next week World War Three from 97. Was it shot any differently than this one was? Not really. Because, I mean, there's really, like, no multiple ways to shoot three rings, 60 men. You just kind of got to go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of the, the three-way split screens, but, I mean... They, they still did it. They obviously thought something highly of it where they kept doing it. And the only reason why they didn't do it in 99 was, I think, because Eric wasn't there anymore. And I... I... I wonder in today's environment, because I looked at it in, like as a technical production person and saw, well, the, oh, that's how they did it in 95. And thinking, how would you cover a three-ring battle royal in 2019? Right. And aside from like GoPros in the corner, I think the reality is a lot of us don't, a lot, like a lot of us would rather follow a simpler match. Like I don't know if 60 men all competing at once is as big an allure now as it used to be. Because mm-hmm. even when they do, even when NXT does war games, they do it in a way where you focus early on on simpler matchups, and then it builds very, very slowly into the cluster it becomes, and then you do a bunch of group flippy spots, and then, it, then <laughs> and then someone wins, and it's super impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, Eric talked about how he's not really a huge fan of battle royals, and he did clarify that this World War Three was not an answer to WWE's battle royal, the Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what it's. <laughs> that this wasn't an answer to that and that seems kind of hard to believe unless you know Eric and WCW and what was going on in creative at this time where they weren't really paying that much attention to WWF I agree with that just because I feel like World War 3 this was so different at the time yeah. we had seen the two ring war games matches and whatnot, but we, we've never seen a three ring to me when I was watching it as a kid I'm like man like three rings that's surreal like I never would have imagined an event with three rings so Again, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, maybe it was a little cluster for production team, but as a fan, like I enjoyed just something different that WWF never offered. They uh, never did more than one ring until War Games 2017. Oh, no, as a selling point, I think a three-ring battle royal is pretty amazing. Yeah. I think what 
in 96 when you do it again is where I'm st- I'm all over the place of like well what's the attraction now is cuz it's a 60 man cluster f and like they I don't know how many stories you can tell of strategy I guess from that point so like if macho man comes back and can win it again cuz he has the secret he knows what's happening and I don't know if that's actually the case moving forward with the war, with a world war 3 match and I think that's where they're that's where WCW faltered, I guess would be the word. Our live audience would rather see one ring and a new creative style match. Maybe a Royal Rumble where two or three men come out of it. Actually, TNA did something a while back that I thought was inventive and everyone crapped on while they did it, which was a 60-man, or it wasn't 60, I think it was a 30-man outside the ring mm-hmm. battle royal where everyone fought to the first, I think it was 30-man outside the ring, and then they fought in the first 15 men to go inside the ring. Then it became a battle royal. You lost me already. And yeah, then the last that, two... all, that all sounds pretty interesting. But I think what Eric Bischoff is going to have to say in just a minute is probably a little more juicy than that. Of course. So we are going to take a quick break, and we will be back in just a few minutes with Eric Bischoff. Stay tuned. Hey, Eric, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Uh, we'll count you in. Stand by. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. Joining us now is author, entrepreneur, host of 83 Weeks, Eric Bischoff. And the crowd goes wild for the man. Hey, Eric, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I love the sound effects. And you're looking saucy as hell there, (laughs) Chrissy. That's awesome. Thank you. This is my best on Nitro Girl. Hmm. (laughs) Very very good. And... (laughs) George, you look kind of like, I don't know, a prison inmate, maybe? <laughs> well, I think that one time we met up, I think you said I looked like Matt Hardy, I think, I re- one time. I remember you telling me Oh, that. yes. that's right. That's right. Wait, you need the, the Booker and, and, T and, hat. And, and Steve is looking dapper with a sport coat. You guys are really up in your game here. This is awesome. And I mean. You, I want to say you look dapper with that collar and elbow sweater. I do. We, we uh, Mrs. B and I are in our um, Airbnb and... Uh, Clearwater. Actually, we're in Largo, Florida. Oh, wow. Uh, we're going to be here until after the first of the year and hanging out with our kids and enjoying some sunny Florida weather. So great to be with you guys, though. 
Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for taking some time off from the fam to hang out with us. And since you are on the East Coast time now, we will definitely get these questions rolling. All the live viewers here in the chat roll already have them going. And we'll start with Frederick Tumban, who said, Eric... Don't you get tired of having to hear Conrad quote Dave Meltzer and having to correct all of Meltzer's nonsense? I, you know, I did in the beginning, but now I find it kind of entertaining and mm-hmm. I look forward to it. Really? It, it, yeah, you know, because there's so much misinformation and, and false narrative that has surrounded our industry over the course of the last 15, 20, 25, almost 30 years now that it, it's actually... I kind of feel like it's my mission <laughs> to 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 point out, you know, all of the 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 lies and the the misinformation and just the garbage that has been spewed from Dave Meltzer and and people like him. It's not just Dave; there are others like him. Yeah, but yeah, he, I mean, he's the biggest. He's the most. Uh, he's the most guilty. <laughs> and. And, and, and I think it, it, it's kind of fun. I feel like it's my mission, so I enjoy it. I was born for it. Well, something that's in Dave Meltzer's headlines this week is that AEW is bringing back Bash at the Beach, which they, of course, have the right to do. What's your reaction to something like that? Do you have high hopes for it? Do you think, oh, man, I hope they, they carry the torch on for WCW? Um, you know, I have mixed emotions about it. I, I, I kind of understand it, but I also think it's... a it's a bad choice. AEW, as I said in a podcast that's actually going to drop next week, we, we haven't heard it yet, but AEW needs to find their own vision. They need to become their own brand. They need to become the their own entity. They need to find the way that they're really going to become the alternative. And the more often that they go back and kind of try to recreate, you know, the success of WCW and, and align them with WCW success, I think they're missing the mark. And it, it's not that it's a mistake. I, it may work out for them, but it's not fresh. It's not new. It's going back. And I don't think you can go forward and go back simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I think you have to make up your mind. If you're going to be retro, be retro. Embrace retro. Don't come out and tell people you're the new alternative and you're the new vision and you're the new this and the new that and then keep going back to so much of what made WCW successful I, I don't know it's just me it, it, it's just and I don't, I don't know that I'm right about that I could be wrong um, it may be very successful for them but it just seems to be contradictory to becoming the new evolution or the next evolution of, of sports entertainment yeah, I couldn't wait to get your thoughts on that. Pretty so interesting. You. I wanted to talk about a little bit about talent acquisitions because I know around World War Three, Nitro was brand new. You guys were, you know, looking for new talent to be on the show. Uh, what is like the fine line of uh, when you guys were assigned people uh, that maybe were just in WWF, whether they got released or whether the contract expired, about getting them, signing them, as opposed to not signing them because maybe they you didn't want WWE's rejects or things like that. Mm, I'm not sure I really understand the question. So, um, 
I want to say just maybe rephrase like, it. Rephrase bit. it because I know I, I wanted to apply it to maybe AEW as well, where anytime maybe somebody gets released from, let's say WWE, whether it's back then or now, people are always so instinctually will be like, oh, they're going to go to WCW, they're going to go to AEW. What's that kind of fine line of, hey, let's pick them up because we see value in them, or let's not pick them up because if WWE doesn't see value in them, then we don't want to kind of get their rejects. Okay, now I get it. And and that's a really good observation and a great question. You you know, there is a fine line and you do have to be careful. You have to be selective because, again, it kind of goes to what we were just discussing. If, for example, you know, we're talking about AEW, you brought them up. If AEW is going to want to establish themselves as the alternative, the last thing they should be doing is bringing in a lot of former WWE talent because they're automatically going to start feeling like a WWE light. And I think all you have to do is kind of go back and look at TNA. You know, long before Hulk Hogan and, and I got to TNA, Dixie Carter started bringing in a lot of former WWE talent. Booker T, Dusty Rhodes, uh, Christian, um, Kurt Angle, Sting. You know, Sting was a, a WCW talent, obviously. But it, it, they brought all that talent in and all of a sudden it started to feel like you were kind of like the, the last stop along the retirement trail, so to speak. Hmm. And, and you need to be careful about that. That's not to say that you shouldn't take advantage of some of those opportunities. And it's a little bit different now than it was again, when, when WCW was emerging and we were trying to compete with WWF, there were only two wrestling organizations out there. There weren't streaming platforms. There was no such thing as YouTube. You know, the, the, a lot of things were different then than it is today. And I will admit that I probably was too eager to bring in too many people who were very closely associated with WWF at the time. Uh, and it probably hurt me to a degree. But I think today it's even riskier um, because there's a lot of independent talent out there. I think there's an more, – more importantly, and I think this is the important part. More importantly, I think the audience has been conditioned now to want a real alternative. They don't want you to say you're an alternative. They want you to be an alternative. And by bringing in too much former WWE talent, I think AEW could run the risk of, it's not going to happen immediately, but eventually over a period of time, and it's not a long period of time, it could be six or eight months, if they keep bringing in WWE talent too often, they're going to feel like a lesser than or, or, or WWE light. And, and that's a risk. I, I think they'd be far better sticking with the independent talent that, that's out there, developing their own talent, which I think is even a better alternative, and bringing in people that no one's ever heard of before and creating their own talent, as opposed to bringing in WWE talent. On the on the topic of AEW, this question is from Michael Pierceus. Is there still any viability for a free pay-per-view style live TV event like Clash of the Champions? For AEW was the question. I think... That boils down to Adwald versus Paywald, I think, in today's environment. I don't think so. Here's I, I was just thinking that's another. You guys are asking great questions tonight. I appreciate it. I, I think 
I, w- I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, and, and kind of thinking about how the climate, you know, the business has changed so dramatically over the last five years. And I think one of the big challenges that everybody faces today, WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, um, and, and, and anybody else that's trying to, you know, NWA, you know, one of the big challenges now is that there's so much content out there. You know, WWE's got three hours on Monday night. You know, SmackDown's two hours on broadcast on Friday night. AEW's got two hours on, on Wednesday night. You know, NXT's got two hours on Wednesday night. My God, there's so much content available that I think, you know, there's a finite number of wrestling fans. You know, the pool, the universe of, of and that's not being differential to WWE, but the pool of... Uh, of wrestling fans out there in the audience is only so big and they're being drenched with content from so many and great content, by the way, not bad content, great content. And I think there's a point where you, 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 you're giving it away. You're producing so much content out there that it's hard to create great content. And that's the key is when you put on a show, whether it's a pay-per-view, whether it's Monday Night Raw, whether it's SmackDown, whether it's Dynamite, whatever it is, or NXT, it's got to be compelling content. And when you just start, when you when you start just putting out more and more and more, that's really hard to do. There's a limit to how much really special, great content that you can create, or or not overexpose your talent. And that's another big issue. You know, you look at WWE. You know, the last three Monday Night Raws, I think, I, don't quote me, well, you're going to quote me anyway, everybody else, but, <laughs> but, but I, I know I may be wrong about this, so let me, you know, there's my disclaimer. Um, I think the last two or three weeks have been some of the lowest rated uh, episodes of Monday Night Raw in history. Why is that? Well, you know, got to start asking yourself, why is that? Is it the talent? Is it the writing team? Is it the presentation? Or perhaps it's the fact that there's so much content out there that none of it feels special anymore. And there's no tune-in. There's no compelling reason. That, oh, man, i got to watch Monday Night Raw because you know that's where it's at. Well, yeah, you can miss Monday and catch some good stuff on Wednesday. And you can miss Wednesday and catch some good stuff on Friday. And, you know, if I miss it all, I can catch some good stuff on YouTube. It's, it's really challenging in today's marketplace. Yeah. Well, Tom Smith wants to know, Eric, what are your thoughts on Jim Cornette's latest stunt? So he, of course, is referring to racist comments that Jim made on NWA commentary and thus quitting the promotion. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it. Um, I, I didn't hear the comments. I read the comments. You know, I, I picked it up uh, on social media today, you know, what happened. Uh, obviously it's, it's unfortunate all the way around. It's unfortunate for Jim. And I know, you know, Jim and I, uh, you know, probably don't see eye to eye in a lot of respects, but I, in so many respects, I find Jim to be a very entertaining and a compelling person to listen to, but he takes it too far. It, it, this isn't 1960, this isn't 1970, this isn't even the 1980s or the early 1990s. Times have changed, and, you know, we all have to change with it. 
Everything about our lives have changed, particularly in the media. And, you know, Jim is a, a guy that is just not reluctant to adapt or is reluctant, I should say, to adapt. And it, it's it's really unfortunate because he's a talented guy, he's an entertaining guy, and he's a very knowledgeable guy. But if you're not willing to grow and to evolve and to understand the implications of some of the things that you do and say and how it affects other people adversely, then you're going to get put out to pasture. And I hope that doesn't happen with Jim, but apparently that's kind of what it appears to be. I don't know where he goes from here. Um, I I know he makes close to six figures selling his merch to the people who support him. So I know I know he's doing okay, but this is a this is a bit of a blow to him and his notoriety within that endeavor. I you know I it's hard for me to imagine that he's making six figures selling his merch. I'm you know maybe he is, and mm. if he is, good for him. Um, you know I I know you know the kind of success that my podcast has and the penetration that it has and, and as well as guys like Bruce Pritchard and other people. And that's a, you know, six figures is a big number. So mm-hmm. if he's doing it good, good for him. Um, but you know, he's, he's making his world smaller mm-hmm. because there's a certain point where you become too volatile to do business with. And the more bridges that you burn, in social media and in, in a world of entertainment. I mean, like I said earlier, where, where does he go from here? You know, who's going to hire him? You know, at this point, probably nobody. And if he's making, you know, enough money off of his podcast and he's, is making a, you know, a big chunk of change off his March, as you pointed out, then good for him. You know, I, I, I don't dislike Jim. I, like I said, there's a lot of things I respect about Jim. I just think there's a lot of things that, uh, are self-destructive. I think at the beginning of that there, you admitted to reading a dirt sheet, Eric. <laughs> oh, I don't read dirt sheets. <laughs> I, I mean, I do, I, I, I do. Well, you know, no, I do. I didn't admit this before. I, I, you know, I go online, you know, every day and I check out, you know, my go-tos are PW Torch. I think Wade Keller does a great oh. job. Uh, PW Insider. I think Dave Cheer and Mike Johnson do a great job. Um, uh, ProWrestling.net I, I, I check that out I, I think they do a great job Wrestling Inc. I think probably does the best job mm-hmm. I, don't go, I don't go to the Observer because I think it's horse shit <laughs> um, yeah, yeah but there's a lot of what I do go to because I, you know, I like to keep track of what's going on and there's a lot of credible people out there you know uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet Ryan um, yeah. Satin does a phenomenal job. I have a ton of respect for Ryan. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there that do a great job of actually covering the business of the rest of the business and, and, and are credible. I just, Dave Meltzer isn't one of them. <laughs> uh, going back to the World War III event, was there ever any thoughts, maybe even for this event or for a future event, to do more, like 70 men, 80 men, or anything, or was 60 just the, the finite number that you had for the next four years? No, 60, I mean, it was just too much, you know, going back. And, and even, you know, I said this in the last uh, tape podcast that we did that's going to air next Monday morning. Uh, it's it's just too hard to cover. And it's, it, it, I don't even like battle royals, you know what I mean? I, 20-man battle royals, single ring, to me, the first three quarters of whatever that 
thing ends up being to me is boring and mm-hmm. slow. It's just junk. It's just garbage. It did, there's no action. There's no story. It's too hard to keep track of what's going on. Look, World War Three was a gimmick. We were desperately, uh, not desperately, but almost desperately, looking for um, a unique pay-per-view, something that had its own personality that we could create that would make people really, really want to see it because it was special. And on paper, I thought, you know, 60-man, battle royal, three wing, three rings, three different announced teams. It felt so big and mm-hmm. so exciting on paper. But then when you watch it, it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hybrid I-78 in the chat. Uh, did you and Scott Steiner make peace, or is there still heat? Oh, somebody's going yeah. for the juice. Yeah, you know, no, we've Scott and I haven't talked. You know, we've been to a couple different events together at the same time. And, you know, I'll, here's the really weird part is, for example, I'll go to an autograph signing or a convention of some sort, and Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner will be there signing together. And Rick Steiner and I are tight. I mean, we're we've got a great history. We're friends. Rick and my wife and my son have gone hunting together in Colorado. And and Rick Steiner and I went up to uh, the Yukon hunting elk and moose together, um, right around two thousand two thousand one. And we're still friends. So I'll walk up to Rick and hug him, and we'll be talking. And you know, Scott will just. Pretend I'm not there, and he'll ignore me. And <laughs> you know, I'll say yeah. hi to him and all that. But you know, Scott is a Scott's a he's a unique individual. Let's we'll leave it at that. He's a very unique individual. Well, on this episode of 83 Weeks, you called yourself the King of Catering, and I just have to ask. <laughs> I mean, if you're the king, then I was the queen. I spent a lot of time there myself. <laughs> what was your favorite dish over there at WWE Catering, Eric? You know, I mean, that whole thing was, again, that was just kind of a joke. And it was, actually, it was uh, Conrad's idea. You know, because, again, we're, you know, we keep talking about Meltzer. But, you know, Meltzer keep, keep, kept writing for weeks, you know, right after I first got there. Oh, nobody knows what Eric Bischoff's doing. <laughs> nobody can find him. And every time they go looking for him, he's in catering. And I'm thinking, well, that's bullshit, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where that came from and or, or, or why he made that up. But... You know, I, I thought, or actually Conrad thought, hey, have some fun with it and make a couple bucks selling a T-shirt saying yeah. King of Catering. Um, I didn't spend that much time in catering, <laughs> probably not any more than anybody else, and probably not as much time as a lot of people. And, you know, you can kind of look at some of the people involved in WWE, and you can decide <laughs> who spends the most time in catering. <laughs> Just to set the record was totally it, straight. Was it? Wasn't me. Wasn't you. <laughs> Where did you watch the shows from or observe some kind of war room from a gorilla? Where were you at? I was in gorilla. I, w- I was in gorilla. Now, Mondays, on, on Mondays, I didn't sit in gorilla. Um, I would watch them in the writer's room. Um, there's also There were also monitors around in the backstage area where a lot of talent could watch the shows. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I would go out and watch it in an arena, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in this. I think one of the mistakes that people in management make is whether they're sitting in a gorilla watching the show or they're watching it on a monitor or in some cases they're watching it in the production truck, you're not watching the, sh- the same show that people at home are watching. 
because when you're sitting at home and you're watching that show or when you're sitting in the arena and watching that show, it feels completely different than it does when you're watching it in Gorilla or when you're watching it in the truck or even when you're watching it on a monitor backstage. Or in catering. Or or in catering. You you don't relate that to the show the same way that someone watching at home does. And I think that's a big mistake. You know, I think, you know, I'm not giving advice to anybody, but if I was running a wrestling company right now, I would, I would want to hear from the people who are watching it at home Mm -hmm. as much as I want to hear from somebody who's watching it on a monitor or watching it in a production truck, because that's what matters. How do the people at home, what's the pacing feel like at home? What's the show feel like with all the commercials that you have to sit through? How does the action feel at home when you don't when you're not looking at a format and you don't know what's going to happen next and you're not anticipating what someone's going to say next? Because when you spend a week building a show, writing a show, you know, rehearsing a show all day long, going through the format for four or five, six hours in a production meeting, and then finally, you know, pulling the trigger, the lights go off, and now you're now you're watching that show on a monitor. It feels different to you than it feels to someone at home. And I think that disconnect between the home audience and the live on-site production um, staff, there's something to be, there's something to deal with there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just one more question for you. The chat roll is talking a lot about Hulk Hogan. So we have to ask you if you've talked to him since he's been out of the hospital. I know you got a little update, but can you tell us how he's doing? You know, I did. I talked to him last week. I, I The last time I talked to him was right before uh, Mrs. B and I got to Florida. And, you know, he was he was still in the hospital. He went through a 10-hour surgery. I mean, he was literally face down on a table getting his back work, uh, operated on for almost 10 hours. And he, he, was, he was hurting. You know, he, he was feeling it. Um, I'm going to probably go see him tomorrow. I'll have a better update tomorrow, but oh, he was a good, he was a good spirits and and positive and looking forward to healing up and getting out of bed and you know seeing uh, seeing how these this surgery actually uh, worked out for him. Oh my gosh! And everyone in the world is saying to be a fly on that wall tomorrow when Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan are hanging out together. Hey, it won't be that exciting, but uh, <laughs> hey, if, if you're a fly and you've got nothing else to do, there's plenty of wall space. Come on by. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Eric. We, of course, will be off next week for the holiday, but please enjoy your time with the family. Have a happy Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, say hello to Hope for us. All right. Thank you guys very much. Have a good <laughs> thank Thanksgiving. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ooh, all right. As promised, everybody, we just had Eric Bischoff on the line. Thank you to all of our live chatters for your great questions this week. Really good, thoughtful stuff. So many of you hanging out with us, and we appreciate it. This was a great episode of 83 Weeks to Eric kind of gave us to kick off on for this Q&A. And we do have Eric joining us most weeks, so make sure you hit that subscribe button and maybe give us a little thumbs up, too. And, uh, guys, do you have anything else that you'd like to point out about this episode? Um, I think we covered the no. We let's covered do the it. episode very tell, well. Tell all these awesome people if maybe they've hung out with us for the first time where they can keep up with you online, Steve. Uh, they can find me on Twitter almost exclusively. I'm at Steve Kaufman. That is K A U F M A N N. I'm involved pretty heavily in wrestling YouTube, and I tweet the link. 
And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, G Hermosa, G H E R M O Z A. Cool. You guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports. Please also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Christy Reports. I've always considered doing a uh, recreate a Nitro Girls opening dance video. I am down to Getting see some that. of the other AfterBuzz hosts on there. And maybe we force these guys to do it too. Nope. So make sure you subscribe nope. and uh, take care. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll be back in two weeks and we will see you then. Bye-bye. Kevin Undergaro and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.